Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I am very excited to be joined by author, broadcaster and former Love Island star Yuande Viala and we are going to talk all about her new book Reclaiming and how a viral essay led to this amazing book and everything that she delves into including dating. I can't wait to get into it, enjoy the show. Hello. Hi, it's the first time I've actually been introduced as an author. Really? How does yeah. it feel? It feels weird. It feels different. Because in your head, you're kind of like, maybe I am an author now that I've written a book. But like, for someone to be like, oh, author, it's like, oh, okay, I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, it's, I remember when it happened to me as well, and I was introduced on something as author, and I was like, wow. It feels that like you have this real sense of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And it's like, I don't feel worthy. Yeah. But you are. Because yeah, you wrote it's a crazy. Book. It's crazy. Um, so let's talk about reclaiming. But before yeah. we get there, I want to talk about what led to the book because I know you wrote this essay in The Independent, very fittingly, that went viral, was widely shared, um, and that kind of led to it. So could you talk us through what the essay was about and, and why you wanted to write it? So the essay was about racialized renaming and for a lot of people who don't know what it is, um, I think in the century we live in now, there is this like disrespect for names that are not normative or European. Um, and my name is Yuande, so it is a Nigerian name from the tribe called Yoruba, and it basically means mother coming back. And I think a lot of people don't really speak about the disrespect associated with ethnic names. Um, and I was on a TV show called Love Island a couple of years ago, um, and I kind of experienced a lot of racialized renaming. And with racialized renaming, a lot of people don't see it as like a big deal. It's like, oh, like someone got your name wrong. It's not really a big deal, get over it. But it's more of the power play and the power dynamic with purposely mispronouncing someone's name and taking that control. Because usually when people do it purposely, there's always this like smile, this like vindictive smile they have, knowing that they've taken that power away from you in how you want to be addressed. Um, so I kind of had that experience in the villa and I was in there for three and a half weeks and it was something that I constantly had to like live through for three and a half weeks, which was very frustrating to me. So when I came out of the villa um, two years later, I think there was an incident about like bullying and me bullying a previous cast member. And the accusations were honestly like absurd. Like I remember just sitting in my room and someone had sent me a comment that a contestant made. And I was absolutely baffled because anyone who knows me knows I'm quite reserved. I'm kind of quiet. I don't really speak unless spoken to. And um, so it was crazy and there was so not true. So I put out a statement initially just to be like, this is how I feel about the situation. And that went viral. I did not expect the reaction it had. I think it had like over a hundred thousand like favorites on Twitter. Like it was crazy. 
Um, and then the independent approached me and they were like, oh, we'd love for you to write an article about racialized renaming and your experience. I mean, it shows how, A, how important this subject is and how it's just not spoken about anywhere near as much as it should be. How did it feel for you actually, you know, putting pen to paper, so to speak, and kind of articulating your feelings at that time? Because I imagine at the time when it was going on, you felt like you couldn't really talk to anyone about it. I don't know, yeah. if, you, I don't know if you confided in anyone on the show at the time, but what was the process like for you just kind of getting it out? I think coming out of like a really big show and just being in the public eye, the first thing your agents will say is, oh, if there's an article or if someone says something, don't say anything. So I think... I kind of came out and even though I wasn't like really outspoken, I wasn't really an outspoken person anyways, but I felt like I was silenced a lot um, and I felt like I lost my voice throughout the years because I was just not used to clapping back, speaking out um, or anything like that. So putting pen to paper and writing exactly how I felt felt liberating. It felt like I was reclaiming, felt like I was finding my voice back. Um, and I love the sense of power that it gave me and being the and being able to tell my own narrative um, and speak my own truth and not have it watered down or filtered or misquoted. Because when you do a lot of interviews, you, you do normally get misquoted. So having that ability to take that power and be like, this is how I feel, this is what I wanna say, and these are my own words, it felt really liberating. Um, and it felt amazing knowing that like, there were so many people who could resonate and felt the same way and really learned a lot as well from the essay that I wrote. Mm, yeah, that was what I was gonna ask you about next, like the reaction. Did you get lots of messages from people saying, this happened to me, I really relate. Thank you so much for articulating this feeling that you know, it always felt wrong, but I couldn't quite express why and actually yeah. explaining the very, very real reasons as to why you feel that way that you feel. Yeah, it was, I think the reaction, like even thinking about it, that was so crazy because I remember I was just in my house <laughs> and I was just in my room and I was like looking at it in real life, like the reactions that were going on. There was like people on Clubhouse because Clubhouse was a thing back a year yeah. ago. And there was like so many Clubhouse rooms that were going on and like my name was like the title. And um, there were so many articles that were writ written by other people as a response to the article that I wrote. There were so many messages and even people on the street were stopping me being like, oh my God, I read your article. And there were so many people who were saying that like, I changed my name to something that was normative, more European, but now I wanna change my name back because now it means so much more to me. And just knowing that like you've made a little bit of a difference or you've educated someone a little bit is such a special moment for me and for them um, and it was it was great I like I loved it and so talk to me about how that then led to the book because obviously you know you were much better at writing than you thought you would be yeah. <laughs> um, and so how did that then lead to reclaiming when I wrote the article for the independent the first time round I got a lot of offers from publication houses and they were like oh we think you're a talented writer we'd love you to do more essays and I was like what even is a talented writer like I was so baffled I was like what even is that and then I did another article for the independent um about colorism and then I got more offers in so I remember sitting on zoom calls and just speaking to different publication houses and seeing what was the best fit for me and what the vision for the book would be, what it would look like, what it would sound like. Um, and then I went with Cornet House, who were my publication house. Um, and we decided on a collection of essays that is now titled Reclaiming. And how did you go about picking the subjects for the essays that you wanted to focus on? 
um, and and what was the kind of message that threads all of them together? Um, so we actually just sat down in an office, created a spreadsheet, and we were there for like two hours. And the question we kept asking ourselves is, okay, what do we want people to take from this book? What do we want this book to look like? What do we want it to sound like? I knew racialized renaming was something that was definitely gonna make the book just because it was a huge part of my journey and the reason that I got the book. Um, so I knew I wanted to extend that essay a little bit, which I did. Um, but I also wanted it to be a little different. I didn't want it to be your usual, your usual nonfiction book. Cause a lot of nonfictions are just like dating um a lot especially um, with black authors there's always colorism um they normally sometimes feature around black trauma and i didn't want that to be my case i wanted to step out of it a little bit but i also knew it was important to still talk about colorism and all these other issues that affects the black community um but i added chapters like religion which i think might be a surprise for a few people because I wanted it to be different um, mental health because I've read so many nonfiction books, but I've never read one that has a chapter on mental health. They're usually a nonfiction book about mental health. But there's no like chapter about mental health. Um, and even with my mental health chapter, it was written in a different way. It was more of like a dear diary of me and my um, therapist. And yeah, I wanted it to be a little different. I wanted it to actually help people. Um, I wanted it to give a true insight to what society is like currently. Um, so we sat down and we wrote like 20 possible chapters and then we we narrowed it down. Because I think with non-fiction essays, you can write so many chapters and you can add so many essays, but you never want to take away from the point um, of the book and what you intend the book to do. So it was very important that we narrow down what the most important chapters were for this book. Mm. And talk to me about religion, because you brought that up, and I think that's a really interesting segue into the way that you talk about love and relationships in the book, because obviously your your kind of upbringing and, and your religious upbringing has a real influence on the way that you view marriage yeah. and relationships. So tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. For me, religion, um, I was born into a religious family. My parents are Christians. I went to Catholic school, um, primary and secondary school. Um, so I think religion has always been something that like has been interesting to me because the way I look at it is there's so many different religions, right? And everyone who belie believes in a certain religion thinks that that's the right religion. So if you're Christian, you believe that, you know, Jesus came to save us all and we are going to go back to heaven one day um, and you believe in God and that's the theology that you're taught. But I find it interesting that you could be born into Islam, for example, you're taught a different theology. But in Christianity, it kind of says that, well, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Jesus is our savior, you go to hell. And I think even though we all believe in the same God, there's like different steps of getting to him. And I thought that, I, th I just thought everyone's theology was so different. And I think even with the Bible, even though it's like for Christians, it's like the book, like this is what we believe in. This is how we get to God. This is how we get closer to God. I found it so interesting that there was just things in it that although I was very religious and I believed in God, there's just things in it that I just didn't agree with. And I started questioning a lot about the Bible. I started questioning a lot about myself, about my religion. And I think when you're born into Christianity or whatever religion you are, 
you don't really question a lot of things. You just kind of take it on. It's what you learn. You go to mass, you go to mosque, you do whatever. But no one really, or maybe they didn't, but I didn't really sit down and really question certain things. I just accepted it because that's what my mom told me or that's what the priest and the pastor told me. So I seen throughout that chapter, um, I kind of like debunked everything. Um, and I was really looking into my faith and because I think it's really weird when I tell people that I'm religious but I don't believe in religion and mm. um, I don't like the word religion I don't like the segregation it gives Um, I don't like the word I don't believe in it because I think religion sometimes has a lot of toxic connotations with it and I think sometimes people use religion as a power tool um so i don't like the word and i don't believe in it but i do think that i i do believe in god yeah i, I know what you mean i think people don't view it as very contemporary mm. and so they kind of have all these archaic ideas about what it is and what it means and it just comes from a lack of understanding and ignorance most of the time um but when it comes to how that shaped your view on sex and dating and you know you said you had to kind of like um I guess, unlearn certain mm. things. Um, when did that kind of process start for you? And what was that like kind of reconciling, you know, the things that you were taught to believe and what you actually thought you wanted to believe? I don't think it happened for me until I went to university. Because um, I think you meet different type of people, different types of people in university. And I think going to university for me, especially moving out, was the first time that I decided whether I wanted to go to mass or not. It was the first time I decided I was living on my own. So it was like whether I wanted to pull out the Bible, whether I wanted to pray. So it was the first time that I think I was kind of independent and I made my own decisions. Um, and I think towards the end of university, about when I was 20, is when I started really thinking deeply about my decisions, why I feel the way I do, why I think the way I do. Um, and really investigating them a little bit more and and just being in my own thoughts because I think a lot of us are, are scared to like dive into our own thoughts and like ponder and really sit down and think but for me it was the first time that I wasn't scared to open that door and really sat there and, and really thought about things. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Let's talk about the dating chapter a little bit. When you start that off, one of the things you said that struck me was that, you know, you had a confession that you don't know how to date, mm. um, which I think is true for a lot of people, <laughs> myself included, um, for various reasons. What did you mean by that when you wrote that? For me, I live in like this blissful fantasy. I love rom-coms and I think along the way, I've kind of used that as like a tool for dating and I've just seen dating as this like beautiful magical fairy tale um, and I had to kind of unlearn a lot of things and like life is not like rose petals and I don't live in a Disney fantasy and this is not it and I think because of that I just I had so many expectations for dating and what a perfect date was supposed to be like, what a perfect guy was supposed to be like, gender roles. I was so fixated on gender roles um, that I, I just wasn't dating properly. And I didn't know I wasn't dating properly because all I was looking at was fairy tales. And I wanted to live that. I wanted to meet my Prince Charming. Um, and I was just so uptight. And it didn't allow for spontaneity in the relationship or, or learning or really growing. How has being in the public eye affected that? Because I imagine that has a big impact on all the things you were just talking about. And I think, you know, talk about reality check. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think when you're in the public eye, there is more scrutiny for you to at least show that you're in a perfect relationship because no one wants to see a picture of like someone fighting or no one wants to not see a perfect couple. I think when we open Instagram, we all want to aspire to something. And um, so when you follow a couple, you you say things like, oh, couple goals or I want to be like them. They're so cute. I love them. Things like that. And um, so when you're in the public eye and you are in a relationship, you feel this immense pressure of trying to show people that you are living this fairy tale fantasy, but you're really not because it's, it's not a thing. Yeah, and I suppose the level of scrutiny and attention makes, it adds pressure on the choices that you're then making in your own dating life because I suppose there's a fear of, I don't know, being packed or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, does, does it impact your choices at all in terms of the way that you actually conduct yourself in terms of your love life? I think I've tried to keep it as private as possible because of that. Because I think once you get into a relationship where people see you dating someone, I suppose your followers, they're really invested in you and they want to see they want to see you do well. So it's always like, oh, hope we hope it works out. Like we don't want you to break up, things like that. And that does add like a layer of scrutiny to the relationship and tension and things like that. So I've tried to keep it out of the public eye as much as possible. Like I'll go as far as private dinings arrive at separate times um, and avoid taking pictures when I'm out with someone like on a date or things like that. Mm, yeah, God, it's interesting to hear about the nitty gritty side of things because I suppose people don't really know about that. I know that you in the, in the book, you write that you're on Raya, which is the kind of exclusive like celebrity dating app. Yeah. What is that like? <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because like, I think everyone thinks it's like great, but it's really not. It's just like a filtered down version of men but they still have 
the same issues as a normal date and I was just like filtered down um, to like celebrities or influencers or people who work in like media or things like that. But it isn't great. I mean, I'm still single, so, and I've been on there for a while. So, I mean, it mustn't be that good. Do you think you would want to go out with someone who is also in the public eye? Or do you think you'd actually prefer in terms of the privacy side of things? You know, would it be easier to go out with someone who isn't? I think um, it's a hard question because there's so many pros and cons to both sides. I think with dating someone who's in the public eye, it's easier because they understand your schedule. Um, because I don't work like a strict nine to five. Like, so having time to see the other person who isn't in the public eye would be hard because of that schedule. Um, but then being with someone who is in the public eye means that they understand a little bit more about how hectic your life can be and they understand your issues a little bit more. Um, but then dating someone who isn't in the public eye, there's that fear of, oh, do they like me for me or is it because I'm in the public eye or are they trying to like you know attain a, a level of um um what would you call a a level of clout I suppose um and you just don't really know and on dating apps you know you write about some of the misogynoir and the racial comments and the fetishization that you've experienced on those apps mm. which is an unfortunately incredibly common thing um to young black women listening to this podcast who have had similar comments on dating apps, what what advice would you give them? You know, what how do you, what do you do in that situation when you read those comments? Do you engage? Do you do you try and you know talk to them or do you just block? What's the best oh, way it to is deal a with that? Straight block. There is no <laughs> talking. I feel like with things like that, there is no talking. Like, where do we really actually go from here? Like. Um, I'm not going to educate you. That's not my role. That's not my job. So I just don't really see how we can engage or move forward. So for me, in those type of situations, it's a straight blocker delete. And that's why I think Raya is not that good. Whereas with other dating apps, like say, I think Bumble, you can kind of filter down ethnicity. I think you can choose what race you want to date. So as a black woman being on that app, and if your preference is black men, it's easier just to filter it down and avoid having, you know, that misogynoir. Not saying that it wouldn't be there, because it absolutely would, but you can kind of filter that down. Um, so I think apps like Bumble would be better than apps like Raya. That's interesting. So that, that kind of specificity yeah. is more beneficial in those yeah. circumstances. I guess it's about finding safe spaces. Definitely. But yeah, clearly other apps should be doing more to, yeah to help women yeah 100 i think even i think another issue with raya is that it's very white populated like really? i could swipe for like two or three minutes and i would only see one black guy so i think that's another huge issue obviously i don't know how it works but like how people are accepted or what no way but i think that is interesting because it's obviously a, an invite only thing and there yeah. is a there is a moderator accepting people onto it so that's probably something worth looking into um you write in the book that, you know, you used to be ashamed um, of speaking to people about your dating preferences. Why, why is that and what do you mean by that? Because I think with being a black woman and with being black and having so much pride in being black, um, in the last couple of years, a lot of, you know, conversations have started off with, well, if you're pro-black and you're pro-this, then it should reflect in your dating history. If you are really pro-black, then you should only be dating black men. So I think with those kind of conversations happening and my dating preference, I don't, I wouldn't say like I 
obviously black men is my preference but I would date any race like I'm open to dating any race and I used to always be ashamed to say that because then people would look at me and be like well you're not pro-black and a lot of people now would still look at me and say well you're not really pro-black because you're not solely dating black men and it was a complicated conversation to have but it was there was just so much more to it because black men have like the hot statistically they date more they date more out of the race they don't date black women I think they date like I could be wrong don't quote me on this but I think it's like 60 40 so they date 60 white percent black white women and 40 percent black women so obviously it then is harder to find a black man as a black woman so I think if you narrow down yourself to just dating black men you're gonna have a really hard time finding a black man that you like that has the same interests as you and um, that's why I say I'm open to dating everyone but I felt ashamed for such a long time because of it mm. you mentioned a guy um in the book who you called Jake uh who you dated I think when you were at university uh and you asked him and he was white you said have you ever been with a black girl before mm. um to which he replied no but I don't see color and I know at the time you kind of smiled and nodded as if that was like an acceptable thing to say. Yeah. Why is that not an acceptable thing to say? So we'll go back to why I thought it was. When I was younger, I used to think that like, well, if you don't see color, then you, I mean, you can't really be racist and you think we're all on the same playing field and this is great. And I thought it was acceptable. But then the more I educate myself, the older I got, I realized that by you telling me that you don't see color, you are diluting my experience as a black woman um, and you're not seeing the issues that I have to, or the hurdles that I have to jump through as a black woman. And it's not the same. You absolutely have to see colour. You not seeing colour is a huge red flag and our relationship will never, never, ever, ever work. Um, and it took me time to learn that, I guess, throughout my life. I was constantly, you constantly learn, you constantly evolve. Um, and I thought it was something that was important to include in the book because I think a lot of people, especially a lot of younger people like me when I was younger, would have seen that as a positive thing. Like, oh my God, you don't see colour, that's great. But no, you are diminishing, diminishing my experience as a black woman by not seeing colour. Do you have, do you know like roughly your fan base? Is it mostly young women? It is. It's mostly between the ages of 16 to 35, mm -hmm. I think, but predominantly um, 16 to 25. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God, it's, I mean, it's so important. I think that's why this book will be so helpful to people like that because it's like the sooner you learn these things, yeah. you know, the, the easier it is later in life. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about Love Island. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's been a while since you were on the show. You said 2019, which mm -hmm. I can't quite believe. Um, I guess we've just lost two years for COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what Obviously, the show has changed a lot. Various things in your life have changed a lot. How has, you know, after writing that essay, how, when you came out with the villa, how did you feel about your time in there and how do you feel about it now? When I was in there, um, I remember being so stressed out. The time in there, I think, was quite hard because when I was in there, I was the only black woman in there. Um, and being a black woman on a show like that can be very, very stressful. There's like a lot of micro aggressions um but because you're the only black person there you kind of just like shrug it off and not look too much into it but it does like affect you 
um, along the way. So being in there was very, very tough. Coming out was obviously a little bit better because obviously I was out. Um, but I did enjoy my journey on the show regardless of whatever happened. I think I made amazing friends and it was a great experience. And you don't, so you don't regret going on? No, I don't. I think there's only a handful of people who get to experience a show like that. Um, and it was just great just experiencing it and living in it. And I always say that like in 20 years, I can watch myself back at June 2019 and like watch myself live. Like if I have kids, we can all sit down. Not that I don't know if we would, <laughs> but we could sit down. And that was a moment in my life that you know that happened and that like I'll always be grateful for and I can watch back and it was documented so I think it's great do you ever watch it now no absolutely not too early <laughs> I'm talking 20 years down the line <laughs> I think the show has changed quite a lot since you were on it um and you know the show has been criticized for all sorts of things um but I think in terms of what the show is supposed to be about which yeah. is finding love yeah. I think in recent years the kind of scrutiny has been well no one, none of the relationships are really lasting very long and it seems like they're casting people who maybe want to find Instagram followers as opposed mm. to love. Do you think it's possible to find love on a show like that, you know, just from your experiences alone? I can't remember if anyone from your series yeah, did. Yeah, they did. did. I think it's definitely possible. Um, because at the end of the day, you are living and waking up with the same people for eight to 10 weeks. It is definitely possible. Not, of course, not everyone goes in for love, but it's crazy because you could you could go in and be like, oh, like I'm going in for like Instagram followings or brand deals and actually go in and find love. Um, but I guess that's what anything in life, like you could be walking around the street and bump into someone and go on a date and three months down the line, you're in love. Um, but I think, yeah, the show is not what it used to be. I think, yes, a lot of people do go in for the Instagram following and whatever comes out of it. Um, but I think it is possible. Um, but I don't see loads of people finding love, maybe like one or two, mm. if we're lucky. But then again, even if one person finds love, that's a good thing. Um, this brings me on to our Lessons in Love segment. So this yes. is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they have learned from their previous relationship histories. Um, so you wonder what would be your lesson in love? Lesson in love? I feel like I need a glass of water for this, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, I would say learn everything you know about love. I think when it comes to love, we think of like fairy tales and butterflies and and all this magical stuff not that it isn't it is but i think we have to learn a lot of things and we need to let go of gender roles a guy should do this a girl needs to do this i need to be like this i need to act a certain way and i know there's all these like rules of oh i can't like you know be intimate with a man until like 90 days 30 days i need to do this i need to message my friends before i do certain things and i think people i think we just need to learn how to really relax and just let life be mm. just relax let life be get rid of gender roles get rid of everything you think that you know about love um and just be just be happy follow your heart yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I think part of that is is just to stop overanalyzing and everything. overthinking everything and thinking, um, you know, am I supposed to do this on this date with this person? What if I want to do this instead? And like, because then that's where the shame comes from, isn't it? Yeah. And it 
it just becomes a sort of relentless cycle where you're not actually prioritizing yourself and what you want from love. I think that's a really good lesson. Unlearn things, <laughs> unlearn everything and stop watching rom-coms and stop thinking watching. it's real life. <laughs> yes, because it's not. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much, Wanda. It's Thank been so you. lovely to chat to you. Uh, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of Millennial Love, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also watch us online at The Independent if you are more of a visual person. Uh, and you can keep up to date with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. We'll see you soon. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.